Friends, it's great to be uh, back with you this morning and uh, looking round in that last hymn. I was just looking round and thinking, I wanted to say, looking at you, you haven't changed at all. <laughs> I wanted to say that. <laughs> uh, and we haven't changed that much. So uh, anyway, I just, uh, let's get that out of the way. Um, yeah, uh, the years don't uh, do us a lot of good, do they? But anyway, let's move on. Let's move on. I want to talk not only to those who've been Christians for many years, but also to you who are guests this morning. If this is your first time in this church, um, welcome. And uh, this is an English accent. And don't be put off. It's lovely to have you here. I want to talk, I want to talk about clarity. I want to talk about what's, what's really important in life. And I want to say why the Christian faith is crucial. I want you to get clarity on that. And so, if you will, would you take these Bibles and uh, turn to page 840. We're going to be taking and looking at this dramatic story in Mark uh, chapter 5, the Gospel of Mark, story of Jesus and uh, this uh, sick child, child who dies, actually. Now, I'm at a particular age where I'm targeted by online marketing. Um, I don't know how they know your age, really. But uh, I find I get on my computer, I get bombarded by wonderful pictures of gray-haired couples in fabulous locations all over the globe under the heading, 50 things to do before the unmentionable. Uh, the Grand Canyon, the Great Barrier Reef, Historic Petra, there's a whole industry dedicated to helping you make the most of your bucket list. And one such is actually called The Rough Guide to Making the Most of Your Time on Planet Earth. And uh, it lists a number of things you ought to do, one of which, surprisingly, um, is uh, throw yourself into the nightlife of Liverpool, which would... <laughs> probably kill me off if you know Liverpool. But anyway, now all that kind of advertising reveals something significant about ourselves. Uh, some people have called this FOMO, the fear of missing out. Uh, you see it in social media envy, and uh, it is a contemporary problem of the affluent. Yes, there are people who simply don't have um, a roof to live under. But who doesn't feel the fear of getting to the end of your life and not getting your money's worth? <laughs> and lurking behind that fear is the fear that there's something coming down the tracks that's bigger than you and bigger than me, and we can't do anything about it, and we will miss out because we are fragile and we do break and we are sinful even and we are very human. And this fear is realized in the story of the father in this, in this particular passage whose daughter is in serious danger, not just of missing out on a career, not just of missing out on a relationship, but of missing out on life itself. Uh, and so it brings a painful clarity to this man that there are not 50 things to do before you die. There's only one thing that really matters. And we're going to look at that now. Two, 
two headings, um, if, uh, if you are taking any notes or just remember them. The first is this, life-challenging circumstances. Life-challenging circumstances. And we'll look at the synagogue ruler, the, the father. His name is Jairus, and we're going to look at him. I can imagine his life was going wonderfully well. He was going through life happily. The children were playing and they were going to school and they were getting their grades and, and all this sort of thing. And suddenly something happens that turns his life, her life, the whole family's life upside down. His daughter, it says, was at the point of death in verse 23. And so he does what perhaps a number of you may have done, rushed to Jesus and said, Jesus, help me, help me. Now, I know something about that. I, uh, talking with David, I, was, uh, I shared a little bit about our daughter, um, Claire, our youngest daughter. And some of you know this story. And, and thank you, by the way, thank you for praying for her. Um, it is a happy story in the end, but... Boys, it was something when it happened. Uh, 2014, I, I remember sitting down with my music director. We were just discussing the hymns for next Sunday. I get a phone call. It's the police. Are you the father of Claire James? Yes, I am. Uh, your daughter has been in a, in a serious accident. Uh, she's in uh, Leeds Royal Infirmary. Um, will you just come as quickly as you can? And so we dashed off. We we drove from Manchester to Leeds an hour and a half. We did it in an hour. And uh, you, 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 kind of, you come to uh, what we call accident and emergency. I think you call ER. Is that right? Uh, emergency. We come to emergency. And, um, and, and we're ushered into a special room with uh, comfy sofas and free tea and coffee and Kleenex on the table. And you think, this is not good. This is not good. And they come in and they tell you, uh, this is a life-changing accident. And uh, you go, Phew. and even just thinking about it now, it just kind of makes me uh, kind of turn, turn over. And uh, I, I mean, it is a miraculous recovery. I want to tell you, they, they gave a 10% chance of recovery. And, you know, she is virtually the same girl. I mean, her memory is a little bit dodgy, but she's, she's fine. <laughs> And uh, she's doing very well. But when you come to that moment, um, all sorts of things kind of flow through your mind. Um, one trivial thing, um, if you are called in an emergency, I mean, you, you, you take your money, don't you take your phone. But there are three things you forget. Just a little tip. Three things you forget. The first thing you forget is your toothbrush because you're going to have to stay overnight, Okay. The second thing you forget is the mobile phone charger. Yeah, and the third thing you forget is a spare pair of underpants. Now, I don't know if you call them, and I forgot all those things. And yeah, I kind of felt, you know, anyway, there we are. That's just a little tip for you. Now, it was a wonderful, happy ending, okay? And, um, and, I, and I don't want to scare you with that story because there are a million people in Leeds. There were 12 people in the intensive care unit. There were two people in special beds at the back, one of which was Claire. So that's one. There were two really serious cases, and that's two in a million. So, you know, it's, it's probably not going to happen. But it happened to us. And it happened to Jairus. 
And Jairus, in desperation, goes to the one person who can help him. Jesus. He's heard about what Jesus can do. And so he says, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And the marvelous thing is that Jesus goes with him. It's a journey. They enter into a journey together. But it's a journey that does not go as planned. So uh, they're rushing to the house. Um, they, uh, the crowd is pressing around them. The ambulance sirens are wailing and wailing. And Jesus suddenly stops everything. He says, who touched me? And then uh, he, he calls, who touched me? Who touched my gums? And he calls out a woman. And he takes time and he speaks to her. And he prays with her. And, and he says, my, my daughter, your faith has made you well. Not the magic touch, but my... Your faith has made you well. And just imagine how Jairus is feeling at this moment. He and the disciples are thinking, this woman has been bleeding for 12 years. She is a chronic case. The child is an acute case. If, if you were in emergency right now, and, 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 and you're doing what you're doing, Jesus, this is negligence. You're not doing the right thing. Every life-challenging circumstance causes you or can cause you to doubt. I mean, we wondered, Lord, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, fortunately, I had a, a book by R.C. Sproul I, I, on God's sovereignty, and that was the thing that really, really helped me greatly. But uh, I just uh, share that with you. Uh, but um, some people can think, Jesus, do you care? And why aren't you doing what I know you should do? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean, don't you? Now, we know now, don't we, that uh, to Jesus, to cure a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years and to raise a child from the dead is no different for him. He can do that. But for reasons of his own, Jairus goes, he has to live with the agony as Jesus chooses to help this poor outsider become a disciple, this poor woman. And then the situation gets worse. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, Jesus was still speaking to the woman, the messengers come from the ruler's house and they say, don't bother the teacher any longer, it's too late, she's gone. Your daughter's dead. Your daughter's died. And now comes the biggest challenge to Jairus. Jesus speaks over their heads, overhearing what they said. Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, and he speaks, as it were, over their heads. And he, I imagine him fixing, him, fixing Jairus with a look. And he says simply this. He says, do not... Fear, only believe. Do not fear. What does Jairus do? Stick or twist? <laughs> What's he going to do? Well, um, that's what life-challenging situations do. They force you into a clarity. Who can help me now? 
who can really help me? And for us, we ended up saying, we've hit rock, bo- rock bottom here. But actually, you're here. You're in this room in intensive care. And you are here. And that makes all the difference. Don't, you know, people said to us, I-, I can't imagine what you're going through. And actually, you can't because the situation is very difficult. But actually, what people don't feel is the presence of the Son of God with them, (laughs) which is what we had. But we we came to that sort of moment of clarity where we said, where else can we go? Where else can we go? Friends, why spend your life thinking about the 50 things to do before you die when there is only one person One thing that matters for all the ultimate questions is Jesus Christ, the living Lord Jesus Christ, whom we read about here in this gospel. So that's my my first point. In life-challenging situations, you gain a clarity. You gain a clarity. Now, secondly, uh, let's look at a life-changing saviour. And this is my second point. And uh, we're now not going to look at Jairus. We're going to look at Jesus. And so... Verse 38, they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. They came to his house and uh, they see the weeping and the wailing that is taking place there. And then Jesus makes his next astonishing statement. Um, he brings Peter and James and they all come into the, uh, just those people and they, they enter the house and he says to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? And here it comes. This child is not dead, but sleeping. Now, they laughed. And uh, I want to say, I mean, there are some commentaries on this that that say, oh, well, you know, obviously the child wasn't dead. No, 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 no. The child is not in a coma. They knew about death. (laughs) They knew. And I've seen a girl in a coma for four weeks. I know what it looks like. No, you know. No, she was dead. But what Jesus was doing was with this miraculous sign, he is changing death forever. And so if you read on with this lovely uh, sort of tenderness, he says, uh, and you see the original Aramaic there, I think, Talitha Kumi, which translated means, I guess in, in Canadian it means honey. Let's get up. Honey, get up. Just come on up. Wake up. It's okay. And she gets up. And he shows by saying that death is just asleep. He says, he shows that death is not an eternal separation from God or our loved ones. It is a sleep from which we wake. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. He or she who believes in me, even though they die. Yes, we do die. But you shall live. Now you're listening to me and you're saying, especially if you're a guest, come on. (laughs) Now you're moving into the realms of things that that seem crazy talk. (laughs) This is crazy. The Christian story is full of crazy things, you might say. And the average person, you know, will say in, in the UK, and I guess in Canada, hey, the virgin birth, but I know where babies are from. 
Miracles, they don't happen. When you're dead, you're dead. And it's as if God says to us, good, I'm glad you know your science, but you don't know me. That's what I'm like. Here is life-changing power. That's extraordinary. But if you'll stay with me, there is also life-changing love here. And it's very subtle. It's just under the surface. But I wanted you to notice in the story, not just the power, but the love. Do you see the emphasis on touch in the whole story? So right at the very beginning, Jairus comes to Jesus and he says, Would you lay your hands on my daughter? And then uh, later with the woman with the issue of blood, he says, who touched me? And, and, and then the disciples say, why are you asking who touched you? And then later at the end of the story with the little girl, he takes her by the hand. There is something about touch here in this story. There's something about a connection with the Son of God. He wants to make a connection with you to touch your life. There's a lovely old hymn, isn't there? Thy touch has still its ancient power. No word from thee can fruitless fall. But to touch you, I mean, you may feel, oh, I don't know, I don't want you that close, you know, stay back, stay back, Jesus. But if he does touch you, it will come at a cost to himself. And here's a little explanation. Stay with me if you can. In Jewish law, a dead child and a woman with an issue of blood were by law unclean. You're not supposed to make contact with such people in Jewish law. But Jesus does. His touch brings life. But that idea of touch is also in the Old Testament. And uh, in the sacrifices in the Old Testament to cleanse God's people, to forgive them, to give them life. The Old Testament priests would, um, would take a lamb and they would lay hands on the lamb. They would touch the lamb. And by doing that, they would transfer the uncleanness, the sin, the... The death, if you like, the deadly, deadly sin that we have, would transfer all of that onto the Lamb. And the New Testament says that Jesus is the Lamb of God. So to make you whole, he had to take your uncleanness and everything on you. On, on himself, sorry, on himself to make you whole. Now, how do you respond to that? How do you, how do you, how do you grasp that? It's actually quite hard, isn't it? You, you, you're not sure how to respond when you hear that Jesus died for your sins or paid a price for you. Um, I want you to imagine that a friend is staying in your house and uh, there's a, a letter from the Revenue. Is it Revenue Canada? Is that what uh, they're called? You don't like those letters, do you? <laughs> Yeah, I know, they're not very pleasant. Okay, and uh, anyway, a letter comes, and by accident, your friend opens it and sees that you owe money. 
And uh, so when, when you come back, he says, hey, look, I'm really sorry. I opened uh, uh, this, this bill from Revenue Canada, but I, I paid it for you. Now, how should you respond? Except don't open my mail. But I mean, how do you respond? Well, you don't know how to respond un- unless you know how the size of the bill, do you? You, simply, you don't know simply whether to say, well, well, thanks. That's, that's very kind of you. Or whether to fall at his feet as though dead and say, thank you so much. And the closer you get to Christ, the closer you begin to realize that for him to touch you, there was an enormous debt to pay that cost him, had to cost him his life. He, as it were, had to die in, in your place instead of you. For you to live, he had to give up his life. Okay, now I digress there, but I simply wanted to tell you that what you're seeing here is not simply raw power, it is naked love as well. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this for clarity. Jairus in the story would say to you, I was in the worst circumstances of my life. But I saw with a stunning clarity the one person I needed to see. And I needed to walk with him on a journey that was very difficult. But I stuck with him. I was afraid. But I believed and I trusted in him. And I I came for a healing, but I got a resurrection. (laughs) I saw I needed a life-changing savior. What do you do? Take a deep breath. (laughs) Some of you have been Christians for a while. But instead of the one thing, there have been 49 other things coming in, you know? And you've lost the clarity. Some of you are just looking into Christianity right now. And you're beginning to think, I hope. And see what's really important. I once sent, in a moment of risky boldness to somebody, I, I have this you know, habit of opening my mouth and wishing I kept it shut. But at this moment, wasn't too bad. I I, I said to this person, wouldn't you be kicking yourself to get to the end of your life, never having looked at the one thing that really matters? And I then went, are you all right with that? (laughs) And she said, I'm thank goodness you told me. Salvation's the one thing that really matters. Friends, there, there may be 50 things to do before you die, but it turns out that there's only one thing that really matters. So can I urge you to look at Christ or come back to Christ with, with a blinding clarity and a, an a, a overwhelming sort of love for him again. Just in awe of the grace that he should do that for you. We, we have, um, or, or this church has within these Bibles somewhere, this little card called connect maybe we should call it touch or get in touch ask jesus to touch you touch your life i mean i know you'll be scared i honestly or or re, retouch it as it were I, I know you'll be scared because you know your priorities are going, everything's going to be thrown upside down but ask jesus to do it and on the card just write a little just write your, your name and maybe a cell number and email or whatever so that people can get in touch with you and help you.
with that. 50 things to do before you die. It turns out that there's only one thing that really matters. Will you pray with me?